Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. Alright, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. Alright, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Written by J.K. Rowling. Rowling? Rolling? Rolling. Rolling? Rowling? Rowling. We're rolling with it. Rolling. Rowling. Rolling? Roffling. Not that. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. I've always said Rowling. <laughs> now, I don't know what I've always said now. I'm, I'm looking it up. It's rolling. It's officially rolling. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Welcome to the pod, people. Uh, Thanksgiving is over, and over the break is a great time to catch up on movies or shows that you missed. So let's introduce ourselves by saying who we are and what has been your favorite binging experience. Lawson. I am Lawson Soward. I'm an art director in Nashville, Tennessee, and my favorite binging experience is watching the Great British Baking Show episode after episode after episode um, because it makes me so happy. It's, you really can't go wrong. You can't. You can't. I wish I had a more concrete explanation than pure emotion, but it is very strong emotion. I'm Sandra Omstutz. I'm a social media manager in Nashville, Tennessee. And mine is probably the first time I ever truly binged a TV show. It was my freshman year of college. And back then, most of us didn't really have Netflix. There weren't any streaming services for us to binge. Um, so instead, you would binge... TV shows with D- their DVDs of the series or the season. Um, and so freshman year, one weekend, a group of girls and I binged the entire first season of the OC in one weekend. And that first season of the OC wow. is 27 episodes long. Whoa. So that's like 20 <laughs> hours of TV that we did in two days as a group, just in a dorm room. We laid mattresses out onto like the floor and we all piled into one dorm room we only took breaks to go get taco bueno and bring it back and eat like while we watched more (laughs) of the oc um and that was just such a thrilling experience to be surrounded by women like binging a tv show for the first time even when i thought that was a half hour show because i knew nothing about the oc i was still impressed by that (laughs) so now i'm twice as impressed (laughs) jeez uh, well, my favorite binging, oh, I'm Lucas Ryder, designer from the Bay Area, and my favorite binging experience is when I first moved out to California, um, me and my wife had zero furniture, and all we had was our TV and an air mattress, and so we just blew that up in the middle of the living room, and we watched all five seasons of Chuck in like three weeks, just on our <laughs> air mattress. That is <laughs> so sweet. It. That's so romantic. It, I know, right? It's so great. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> Well, this week we'll be reviewing the new fantastic the, or the new film Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. It's written by J.K. Rowling herself and is the first of five planned films for the Harry Potter spin-off series. But before we get into that, every week we like to talk about something we've discovered or rediscovered throughout the week. So let's talk about what we're feeling. Lawson, what are you feeling this week? Uh, well, anyone who follows me on Twitter knows that this week has been a week in which I have given my highest recommendation to the new installation from Disney Animation Studios, Moana. 
Um, did you guys see this over Thanksgiving? No, I wish nope. I could have, but I didn't get a chance to. Okay, no. go see it. Tell everyone you know to go see it. It is absolutely, absolutely incredible. The music is Lin-Manuel Miranda doing his thing. He's so, so good. I mean, obviously we all know that he's so good, but I I don't know. Like, I didn't know how that would translate to a Disney animated film, and now I just feel like an idiot. Right. Like, it translated perfectly, <laughs> of course. Um, and, Sandra, I thought you might appreciate the fact that at the end of this song, there's a pop singer who sings a alternate version, a cover of one of the songs sang by the main character during the film, and I liked it. Great. This music. Can, can you Whoa. tell me who the pop singer is? <laughs> is it a surprise? Uh, no, I just forgot. One second. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alicia Cara? Oh. Is that a pop singer? I guess so. Is that a real-life pop singer? I think so. I think she's done. I think I've heard her do music with um, Troy Sivan. Is, is Troy Sivan a pop singer? He is a pop singer. Yeah. He's a favorite. <laughs> Guys, of I don't mine. know these things. Absolutely. <laughs> he's like um, much like he's like young and queer and like really cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. But oh my gosh, this is amazing. This movie gives me a whole new level of appreciation for Dwayne Johnson as an actor, as a voice actor. He's incredible in this. Um, there's the voice of Moana, which I feel terrible. I feel like I'm probably going to mispronounce her name, is Aluli Cravalo. Um, and she just kind of was found for this movie and does an incredible job. Her voice brought me to tears on multiple occasions, um, singing and speaking. And I don't know, it just it, it brought me to uh, a state of emotional vulnerability and uh recipients i I was like taking it in i guess is what i'm trying to say on a level like i haven't felt since i was a kid it was just it was so so good and it was one of those rare movies where i felt like i could actually appreciate it more because i was an adult um there are all of these things in it about uh empowerment and following your heart and um balancing responsibility and the people what people uh want you to be with your own desires and i just it was so it was so powerful and i know that there's a lot of personal um stuff that i have tied into this and people who are very important to me who i uh may have projected onto some of the characters but i think even if you don't have this deep personal connection which is the thing that had me sobbing in this movie um it is so well done. It's such concise storytelling. It hits all these great emotional beats in like under 90 minutes. And uh, it's fun. It's hilarious. Um, it makes like one pop culture reference that might not age well, but whenever it is 50 years from now, it won't matter that it didn't age well. Um, it does all the things right to be an enduring Disney classic. And Moana, the main character, is incredible, and you instantly fall in love with her, and uh, the Rock's character, Maui, is really good. There's all of the characters in this movie you care about. It The pacing is just incredible. 
the music is some of the best music I've heard in a Disney uh, movie in a really long time. And I was listening to the soundtrack today at work, and it brought me to tears again, which was very unexpected. But um, the music's <laughs> just that transportive. It's, gosh, it's so good. Like, it is... I saw that Disney was coming out with a movie for this for the holiday season and I was like, oh, okay, I'll probably see that like, you know, with family over the holidays. I did not expect it to be one of my favorites and this is one of my favorite movies of the year at this point. So I highly recommend it. Um, earlier I tweeted, anyone who thinks Frozen is better than Moana has never been more wrong about anything ever. Ugh, and <laughs> I have some beef to pick with you about that tweet. I mean, that's fine. <laughs> I stand by it. And I also stand by the follow-up, which is if your child says that they like Frozen better, tell them to their face that they have bad taste and start taking away privileges. <laughs> because this movie is so good and connects on every level that I wanted Frozen to connect on. But Frozen felt like a movie that kids would probably like more. But as uh, an adult with the experiences that I have, I felt so much more of a connection to uh, the story and uh, the emotional pull of Moana, and I just thought it was so well done, and there was no... I felt like uh, I wasn't trying to hate on Frozen necessarily, but I was just like, this movie's amazing, and I don't feel like everyone is going to be singing songs from Moana as much as they were singing Let It Go, and I feel like that is a damn shame, because this song, the music on this movie is incredible. It's set a whole new bar. So, yeah, go see Moana. Do it, as if you weren't going to already. All right, fine. I'll do it. <laughs> so Lawson, um, one big thing that I have been looking forward to Moana, one reason I've been looking forward to Moana is because this is possibly going to give Lin-Manuel Miranda the chance to EGOT. Um, if he wins yep. an Oscar um, for this movie, then he'll be an EGOT. Um, oh, how- he totally should. So you think his chances of winning for, the, for Moana are pretty high? I do. I mean, I... I mean, I'm voting for Sing Street. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know whether Sing Street came out in the same year, but that yeah, would be the thing that made me... Okay. That would be my we'll biggest see. worry. But seriously, he deserves an Oscar for any number of these songs. I mean, they're... He actually sings, like, lends his voice to several of them, but on the soundtrack, there's a bunch of outtakes that were, like, weren't end up, did not end up getting used in the uh, final cut of the film that are also incredible. He just has such an amazing way with packing so much emotional punch into words and telling story through song, and uh, I just... I'm amazed by it. And if he does, I'm going to be rooting for him to get the Oscar. Um, not just because I want him to EGOT, but because I the music in this movie uh, hit everything just right for me. Lucas, do you think, what Sing Street song do you think is going to be the Drive contender? It Like You Stole It, yeah, that's for it. sure. Okay. Drive It Like You Stole It. That's it. That's the one they've, uh, they're submitting gotcha. as their, as their contender. Yeah. So That'll we'll see. Yeah. It'll be face off, face off. All right. Well, Moana. Moana, the we'll best see. movie you will see this month. Ooh, <laughs> making that's, that's that claim. A, this is this is a big month, man. Yeah. December. This is a oh, lots I'm, of stuff happens this month. It's still you're, November. Oh. Nothing's right. gonna top it it's in November. November. <laughs> okay. Well. <laughs> 
All right, but not I as it, big of a claim now. No, so no, fine. I would put it against <laughs> any movie, even movies coming out in November. You haven't seen Arrival yet, have you? Yeah, I haven't. That's true. So you haven't maybe seen I'll... Arrival. You haven't seen La La Land. You haven't seen Moonlight. Go I have home. seen Moonlight. Go home. You would say oh, Moana's yeah, better than Moonlight. Uh, they're doing such different things. I mean, sure, that's fair, but well, <laughs> you said I, it was better. I you think... said it. <laughs> what metric are you using? Are you using the metric that like? I mean, this it's your metric. You're it? the one that yeah, said you're it. You're the one who just said it. it's better. <laughs> I did see Moonlight this month. That's yeah. true. I mean, I enjoyed. That's crazy. It feels crazy to say this. I enjoyed Moonlight so much, and I was so glad that I saw it and I felt like it was really important for me to see it, but I cried more in Moana and I felt more things in Moana. And I think that just has a lot to do with my personal experience Oh, sure. because it was able to reach me in ways that Moonlight didn't. And I think that was one of the most important things about Moonlight was it was showing me this really amazing uh, inside look into a perspective that I can't have. Um, but Moana kind of, reached me on the level of me and of the people that I'm closest to. And it was, yeah, I, I enjoyed Moana more than Moonlight. Is it because you're a South Pacific teenage girl and not a black gay man? That is, if you want to paint with that broad of a stroke, that is the reason why. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right, more than cool. one thing, Lucas. Well, fine then. I'll see, I'll see Moana. <laughs> I'll do it. Just for you. The Disney marketing machine needed me to tell you this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Sandra, what are you feeling this week? This week, I'm feeling a documentary that I've been meaning to watch, and I finally did. I watched it over the Thanksgiving break on Netflix. It's called Tony Robbins, I Am Not Your Guru. I don't know. I didn't know a lot about Tony Robbins going into this documentary. I knew that he wrote a bunch of self-help books. I knew that several entertainers that I'm a fan of liked Tony Robbins, specifically um, Pete Holmes, a comedian and podcaster that I really enjoy. And so, and I had heard people mention this documentary, and so I wanted to check it out. Have y'all seen this? Or are y'all familiar with Tony Robbins at all? I know what it is. I have not seen it yet, though. I would echo that level of familiarity. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> this documentary... Um, it's it's almost like a concert documentary for a self-help seminar. You know, instead of it being a, a huh. big entertainment event, the documentary takes place only during the time of this one-week self-help seminar that he hosts once a year called Date with Destiny. Um, it's a seminar that lasts, I think, five days, and they're about 12-hour-long days that people work during it you know, from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. And it costs about $5,000 a person to attend this seminar that he hosts. Ooh. And this, and the documentary kind of just takes you through all of those days, the behind the scenes with Tony Robbins preparing um, for what each day's material is going to be. And I found this documentary really fascinating. I will say so much of what happens in the documentary, I'm incredibly uncomfortable with. The kind of atmosphere that is being set up for the sem seminar is one that I do not like. It's the kind of place where it's such forced enthusiasm and mm. an emotional um, 
rawness in a way that doesn't feel very authentic to me, or at least um, feels very manipulative. And mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the the practices that Tony Robbins uses to get through to people, I find very manipulative. And I think he would also agree that they're manipulative. I don't think that that's like a secret. There are so many moments while watching this, you know, like when The Office first came out, the TV show, I remember that feeling that we all kind of had where we like watched entertainment for the first time where you like cringed a lot because of how uncomfortable or awkward the humor was. And I had those feelings again while watching this documentary times where like something would be happening on the screen and I was watching it by myself, just muttering like, I hate this. I hate this. I hate this because (laughs) what was happening was so uncomfortable and, or, or I felt manipulative and uh, at the same time, it was so interesting to watch the way he connects with people on an individual level in front of a crowd and the way he connects with the crowd and the way this crowd would respond to these individual moments he would have with people he called interventions. Um, there, He does really drastic, dramatic things where he like, finds the people in the crowd that he thinks um, are like on the, are suicidal. And he like talks to them one-on-one in front of a crowd of like thousands of people. And he will like at one point in the documentary, he like makes this woman call her boyfriend to like confront him about her, their relationship. And again, in front of the entire seminar. And it's very, it's very bizarre, but um, I, I definitely would recommend people watching it. Like I said, I don't endorse the things that are happening in the documentary. Um, I found some parts of it very moving. I found parts, some of the things he said to be very powerful and important and great advice. There were other times where I was very concerned about a lot of the gender norms that are being forced upon people in this documentary. He places a lot of... um, importance on men being masculine and women and women being feminine that and that was very um upsetting for me to see but at the same time I was fascinated so I would definitely recommend people check this out if um the kind of cult mentality is something that interests you because this is a prime example of it and I will say that the documentary um was produced under like very strict um like rules by Tony Robbins like he only allowed the cameras in if he had like a lot of control I think over what was going to be filmed and so this is not a, a a critical look at him as a figure I think you have to go into this documentary with critical eyes because the documentary won't do it for you um, so it's an infomercial. It is. And in, in, in ways, I think it is. Um, I think, I, you know, he used, I think he, one of the stipulations of making it was that he got to use whatever footage as part of his marketing for his. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and so I, I do think that, like I said, it's it's not a critical look, but I think if you go into it with a critical eye, um, you, you can, it's really fascinating to look at. It also doesn't really examine him as a person very much and more just him as a performer slash guru, even though he doesn't call it, refer, says he's not a guru. Um, 
And so it, it's a look at this week and this seminar specifically and his role in this seminar, but not him as a person, which would have been fascinating, I think. But I think he would not have been interested in par- participating in. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I don't find any of that surprising. Like that all sounds so, people in that situation view themselves as their brand so much that my experience at least has been that they're very resistant to any kind of criticism or any kind of public criticism coming out about them and are very defensive about those things. Um, so I'm, I would be really interested in self-help speakers in general, but especially someone as big as Tony Robbins, kind of there being this uh, behind the veil look at them. And, you know, a lot of things that I just said was pretty critical and I had a very critical eye while watching this film. At the same time, I do want to say there were several points where things that he was saying to the crowd really struck a chord with me and like made me reexamine like certain relationships that I've had or um, or like my goals for myself. And and so I definitely see the value. I see like why people are drawn to him. I see why people like feel like their lives were changed after going to his seminars. Um, I, I it's not it's not completely foreign to me. Um, I just don't think that it, it, I personally, if I were to attend an event like this, I would have such a doubting eye the entire time. I would, yeah. every time, everything he would do rather than engaging with it, I would be like, no, that's a manipulation t- trick. This is a, you know, right. um, I, I, I wouldn't be able to participate in it. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. I just don't, I think certain people, need or really respond well to those kind of things being a catalyst to emotional and personal change whereas other people are just like no you're manipulating me i'm shutting down i'm done right and i i fall more into that category sounds like you do too yep but i would definitely recommend the documentary i think it's a really interesting look at um like that kind of event and also just those ideas that he like is talking about about self-change and um yeah, I would highly recommend it, even though it's not... I wouldn't recommend the seminar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds like something that would be really fascinating to see. Yeah, definitely. Well, cool. Um, so before I actually say what I'm feeling this week, this week um, I want to say, in general, I love Westerns. All mm-hmm. Westerns. I love them. Um and I think it's interesting how few Westerns are getting made now um, and who are the people who are actually making Westerns. Last year, my favorite Western, uh, Slow West, was uh, made by a Scotsman who shot it in New Zealand <laughs> uh, as America. Um, and this year, what I'm feeling this week is a Western called Hell or High Water, Hell or High Water, uh, made by an Englishman filmed in New Mexico. And I got to say, this movie is amazing. It is so well done. It stars Chris Chris Pine, Jeff Bridges, and uh, Ben Foster. And this is the story. I don't want to get too much into the plot because it's a really slow burn that kind of stretches out exactly how um, how kind of you find out more about these characters and their backstories and the, the reasons they're doing what they're doing. Um, so I won't give any of that away, but, um, it is, it is set in West Texas, 
which is where um where i spent a lot of time growing up and it nails it <laughs> mm. it nails west texas to a t um, a lot of it is about just small tiny towns in in west texas and um what it's like as industry grows and a lot of people who are farmers and ranchers um as their kids move away and don't don't want to be farmers and ranchers and what those kind of towns turn into and what that what that you know, feels like from that, their perspective. And I got to say, I'm not a huge fan of Texas, but this film made me like the people of Texas and, and, and be proud to be from that area, which is of extremely hard, difficult thing to do. <laughs> um, but just, it really, it really nailed the, a lot of the mentality that, um, that people have and kind of the pride that people have in themselves and in, um, the difference between right and wrong versus what the law is yeah. um, in that area, which is which is really neat. So, um, have you you get you guys haven't seen this movie, right? I haven't, but I really really want to. I Lucas, I'm the opposite of you. I really can't stand westerns, but um, <laughs> um, I've been excited about this one because of I I heard going into it when it was coming out how accurately mm-hmm. it portrays modern day West Texas. And, you know, as that's an area I'm somewhat familiar with. And I was really excited to see that depiction. Yeah. I, since moving away from Texas, have really uh, grown an affinity for kind of that Texan uh, state of mind or whatever. Like whenever I was living in Texas, I was always so frustrated. Like no one needs a waffle iron in the shape of their state. Like get over yourself (laughs) as a state, Texas. But now I do, I love that. And even what you were saying is the sense of right and wrong um, separate from what the law is, I feel like is something that's kind of, um, I don't know, now living in Tennessee, which has this kind of history of uh, like the antebellum South, I feel like Texas has more this history of uh, cowboy culture and Wild West and kind mm-hmm. of like standing by a moral code. Um, and even though, of course, that was very problematic code at certain points in history and it still has its own problems uh that's something that i have had an easier time feeling uh connected to so like the fact that that is something super emphasized in this movie makes me want to see it even more oh yeah definitely um also this film is written by um taylor sheridan who who also wrote sicario last year um which is what that was on my my top ten movie list for last year. Really, really fantastic movie with uh, Emily Blunt. But a lot of kind of the same feeling. It's just a slow burn movie that um, doesn't have a ton of you know crazy action, but builds up to a really compelling ending. Um, and uh, the cinematography on this movie <laughs> is fantastic as well. It is gorgeous. And it really, they use tons of tons of wide shots, just kind of showing the wide open plains of Texas or New Mexico in this case. Um, but it is used really well kind of in the landscape of, of having to drive between tiny towns, uh, which isn't really um, something that, that happens in a lot of places <laughs> yeah. of just having to, having to travel back and forth between a bunch of small towns in a, in a limited area. So, but yeah. Hell or High Water, I would most definitely recommend. Awesome. Let's talk about Fantastic Beasts.
some of us saw Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. I am the one that didn't see this movie. I We kind of talked about this in our previous episode. Even though this is a film I've been really excited about, we've kind of kept track of the trailers. Once I found out that Johnny Depp was going to be appearing in this film and becoming a major part of the entire franchise, I chose not to watch it because I don't want to support any films that Johnny Depp is in after his wife accused him of spousal abuse. So um, I uh, didn't see this film, but Lucas and Lawson did. So I am curious, guys. Lawson, what did you think? Fantastic Beasts was a movie I, I really wanted to enjoy it. And I was really excited to, uh, so I like want to acknowledge my bias going into it. Really wanted to enjoy the movie. And I uh, was really excited about because I love the Harry Potter book so much. I was super stoked about going into a movie uh, in the Harry Potter universe that I did not know the plot to and didn't know how it was going to end and wasn't going to have to uh, try to ram every plot uh, development of a 700-page book into an hour and a half or two hours. There's nothing to and compare so, it to. Like, oh, right. the book was better, the movie was better, yeah. Just a fresh right. story. I was like, yes, the story gets to be written by a screenwriter. Well, it was written by J.K. Rowling, who is not a screenwriter, but it was written as a screenplay, not as a novel first, and I was really excited about it. Uh, I wanted to enjoy it. I did enjoy parts of it. Overall, I did not enjoy it. Mute. It was, I did not. <laughs> I did not like this movie. Yeah. <laughs> this this movie is very very bad. Um, oh, okay. To me, it's like Sandra when you and Brent went and saw Suicide Squad, and Lucas and I set it out. I feel like this is like our karmic punishment for <laughs> like we got out of that bad movie and had to go see this one whenever you and Brent uh, did. Well, actually, I, I say that. I saw on Twitter, Brent saw it and really liked it. But um, you know, as much as there are I'm things s- I really liked about it. Oh, go ahead. I'm going to say not, you know, Brent is the only, I've seen a lot of people with like very positive reactions to this film. Um, yeah. Not I- like across the board, universally loved, but also it's not like a bomb or anything. Well, I had fun watching it, just not. The ma- you had so much ma- fun hating it. Not for the majority of the time. Like, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's, there are a lot of things I liked about it, and we'll get into that, I guess. But um, mm-hmm. overall, I just I didn't like it, and I really wanted to. Um, Is there but, like a major flaw that like you can point out that it oh, left you? Oh, I mean, the the plot. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> of the movie. <laughs> the plot of the movie. Okay. And the um, plot of the movie is your flaw. Yeah, that would be the major flaw, and then the. Uh, female characters in this movie were really poorly done in my opinion which is really a bummer because i thought jk rowling would have written amazing female roles and uh also uh just it wasn't i'm trying to think of how to say this it's a movie obviously it's a fantasy but the thing that bothered me the most about this, which hadn't bothered me in previous Harry Potter movies, which maybe it was because I was younger, maybe it's because I read the books and they'd gone into more explanation, was this movie creates a universe or exists within a universe that I felt like had pretty consistent rules, but this movie expands the wizarding world in a way that adds a lot of more rules. And there were already plot holes 
created by magical elements uh, of the wizarding world. But this movie added so many more, like, just kind of unspecified magic stuff that people can do and choose to do at certain times and not at other times in ways that would totally circumvent, like, entire half hours of this movie. Um, that it was really frustrating because I felt like they didn't set out a, a consistent... Uh, framework for everything to happen in and so that was i think the hardest thing for me was i was just like oh so magic stuff is just happening now so now there's just magic like it wasn't it didn't feel like it fit into any of the the rules or structures that i had liked so much about um hogwarts as a school and as um how, how that played out so yeah anyway i can get into more specifics but i don't lucas i want to know what oh. you thought well, I loved it. It was the best movie I've ever... No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> you guys know I don't like things. Um, so, no, I I honestly had a lot of fun at this movie. I A lot, a lot of that might have to do with coming off of not having slept for 27 hours when I watched this movie. But, man, I had a ton of fun. It was... It was... I think... So, let me let me say this. Let me say this. David Yates, the director of this movie and of the last three, four Harry Potter movies, I don't remember, um, he does not have a lot of creativity, I think. I think he just kind of puts a camera in front of things and just films it, and that's about it. Um, I just yeah. got done watching Tarzan, which was another movie that he made uh, this year, and it's kind of the same thing, and it really got me nervous for this movie. Um, and how it would turn out. But I think the visual effects department really saved him here. There's a lot of interesting things happening with, with how they've created the beasts. Really? Um, and a lot of the, I'm not going to spoil anything, but a lot of the other kind of animation stuff that happens in this movie. I thought they were um, super hit and miss. Like there was a ton of times in this movie, sorry to interrupt, but there were a ton of no, times no, in this yeah. movie where I was like, I don't believe for a second that any, that those people are interacting with any so, of those things. If you're talking about the Ron Perlman character, I a hundred percent agree. I don't think that animation was even halfway done, but <laughs> yeah, I was like, um, Gollum was better than I know, this. What's it, going on? It, yeah. Yeah. The, there's a character played by Ron Perlman who's in it for like two minutes who, isn't completely animated character and he looks like yeah he looks like a half-baked uh like gumbo character who's it's terrible it looks like something that would have come out in like 1999 um but yeah yeah but that 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 was the only thing to me that stood out as like oh that is not good animation a lot of the other stuff i felt like was really unique um and a lot of the movement and the disapparating that happens throughout the the movie um i feel like was handled really well from an animation perspective um what lawson said about the plot itself i feel like this is a first time screenwriter um trying to write a blockbuster which is what's happening here. Yeah. I, I I feel like she is great at writing books and that is very different than writing a screenplay. Yep. And even though she's been around movies and been, you know, kind of technically working on movies for the last, what, 15 years or so, she hasn't actually written a movie. And it's not like she wrote this with somebody else. She is the sole screenwriter um, credited with this movie. So I feel like she's going to have a lot of work to do to get better at writing a consistent uh, story. 
uh, this 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 movie is called Fantastic Beasts and Beasts and Where to Find Them, uh, and I feel like they chose that title based on previous works, like just that that is that is a recognizable thing from the Harry Potter universe. So let's make a movie called that, and then figure out how we're gonna do our movie based around that title. Yeah. So I feel like the actual plot of the movie has nothing to do with Fantastic Beasts. And then every once in a while, we go off on a side plot to try to find one of the Fantastic Beasts uh, because I'll... that's the title of the movie. I mean, so every once it's... in a while, like, <laughs> the majority of this movie is dedicated to finding Fantastic Beasts, which has no implication on the overall on the actual plot, plot that this thing yeah. is trying to convey as like the central conflict. Agreed. Agreed. You know, agreed. And that that's weird. <laughs> it's so bizarre to me that they didn't pair her with a screenwriter for this movie. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, like how is that? How is that allowed? <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. She get. I, th- I think because she's so powerful, technically a good writer and she's extremely powerful in this franchise and people are coming to see her work. Like people, there's no, there's no previous, you know, anything that's based off her work. So if we got a brand new screenwriter or something else on here, it wouldn't feel like actually part of the Harry Potter universe. I think that's Warner Brothers feeling behind it. I don't think that's true. I don't think that was what would happen. Because I don't, with the cursed child, she didn't even write the cursed child. So, and people, I think bought it in droves. So, and went to see Mm -hmm. the play. To me, I feel like it could have helped so much not to like have her not do any writing but just co-write it with someone you know oh yeah yeah Yeah. i definitely i definitely think that that would help and i am curious to see what will happen on the future films um if they're gonna bring in somebody else to kind of help her out with these right um i mean this movie made me not want to see any of the other ones like that's I know myself well enough to say, like, I'll probably give him a shot, but, like, I yeah. never saw the last Hobbit movie. Like, I just gave up on that. Like, I... This movie did not inspire... There was a lot of... Sorry. There were a lot of things I did really like about this, but it did not justify four more movies to me. I'm I'm curious because, like, she she has a story planned out over five movies. I'm guessing the rest of them don't have to do with finding magical beasts. Um, <laughs> I, I, I really think that I, I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt in that she has a story that she wants to tell. I'm excited that she wants to tell it, but I think her forte is books, not, not movies. And so if she can get somebody else to help her out with these movies, I think we have the basis for a really good story here. Cause when when we actually got to see the plot of this movie and we actually got to kind of work through that, I thought it was really interesting and it's something that hasn't really been explored in the Harry Potter wizarding world so far. And there's a lot of really good dynamics between um, kind of the, the good and evil that, 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 that we see that I'm really interested in. I think that maybe something we talk about in spoilers and I may agree with you there. Okay, yeah. I'm very yeah. interested in what this saga of the harry potter story or this franchise is going to end up being called because i do Mm -hmm. think that like you said (laughs) i think that this was just an introduction from what i've heard about it that the next films aren't really going to have to do with fantastic beasts at all and that eddie redmayne might not even be in the next ones um Mm -hmm. and so i'm wondering as a whole what what are we going to refer to this franchise as you know um yeah i I hope it's not 
I hope it's not like Fantastic Beasts 2. Like, it would be really great if the, each one just got a brand new name. Right. Yeah, I think I they already revealed the naming structure is Fantastic Beasts and something something. Oh. Fantastic Beasts, and we're going to need a new title. <laughs> yeah. So, I think, But I think that's what they're doing officially. Uh, um, well, that's dumb. Um, so so I wanna hear, we're going to have to shove Fantastic Beasts into all these movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to hear from you all about what you thought of the setting of the wizarding world in the 1920s New York and how like that differed from what we've seen before. Well, okay. I'll, I'll tell you this. JK Rowling hates Americans. She sure does. <laughs> she does. And it does not make Americans look good at all. Like I, I mean, I also hate Americans. I want that to be clear, but, <laughs> <laughs> but she really put it out there, man. Oh, yeah. I thought she did an amazing job of using this setting in time. Like, they, I thought they were going to have more fun with, like, flapper era stuff, but they really got into all of the problems and kind of the the darkness of that time. Because, I mean, it's right between World War One and World War Two, mm-hmm. So government in general was being a lot more restrictive. And also Rowling really plays into the fact that America was kind of founded by people being interested in a more restrictive culture. Um, so, like, I I was really interested and compelled by the way that they explored um, kind of the way that plays out in the American wizarding governments and, um, and all those things. As far as it being a period piece... I wasn't like, oh, cool, look at the old cars. It was more like, oh, what was the political setting of America at that time that really was interesting to me, which I, I didn't expect. And so I was I was del- kind of surprised and delighted by that. Yeah, this is going to s- Yeah, this is going to sound bad, but this is like the Phantom Menace where we get this crazy beautiful world and then we jump into the politics of it which <laughs> sounds so terrible true. but I was super interested in the politics of this world where I was not interested <laughs> in the politics of the Phantom Menace um but yeah I I, I was really surprised I thought it was going to be more I mean this is an adults movie this isn't Harry Potter where these kids are at school like everyone in this movie is adults and I feel like it was marketed to kids but there is some dark stuff in this like During, darker than anything we've ever seen you know, before we can bring it up in spoilers because this is one that I've definitely heard but I've heard of some kids like reacting very strongly in the theaters to certain things that happen in this film I wouldn't bring anybody under like 12 to see this movie yeah. some people get Death happens in this movie in some pretty, not gross ways, but like terrifying ways. Dark. This is like just PG 13 to the max. Yeah. (laughs) It's, I, Lucas, I think the Phantom Menace uh, analogy is really apt, which sucks because I really wanted to love this movie. (laughs) But like also it's, it's a situation where you, you have to have seen Harry Potter. You have to, Mm -hmm. you have to be familiar with the world. You have to know everything that's going into it as a starting place. You can't watch this movie as a prequel and assume that it's going to like actually build this world or tell you anything about what's going on. It just yeah, says, it explains oh, they, nothing. It explains nothing, and it really part of me wants to like laud that the fact that they're mm-hmm. not being another origin story. Like, oh, cool, we're not getting the same hero myth that we've gotten a hundred times before. But it also just means that this movie makes no sense on its own. Like, 
if you had not seen any of the Harry Potter movies, this would this movie would be really terrible. Complete, complete nonsense. I'm a, yeah, complete I mean, nonsense. Yeah, I, I'm okay with that. Though. I'm okay that's, with that as well. Like, I feel yeah, like that's in today's media culture, you just have to mm-hmm. be okay with like you're either a part of this franchise or you're not. Either you mm-hmm. either you understand how the the world of Harry Potter or you don't, and it's. And I feel like the same thing goes for, like, plenty of the Marvel movies and plenty of, like, the X-Men movies. Mm -hmm. Okay, I disagree because I think with a movie like The Avengers, yes. Like, if you're going to go see The Avengers, I'm sorry, you need to have seen all the other movies because this movie stars all the people from those other movies. But this is a whole new thing. This isn't... There are no characters from Harry Potter in, in this movie. They're using the same world, but it's like a whole opportunity to start a brand new franchise. Maybe people weren't interested in Harry Potter, but they think the idea of magic is cool. Like this could have been a thing to introduce people in a whole different way. And I think they totally dropped the ball on making this a a self-sustained, self-contained movie. Like I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I think it's different for this. And I was disappointed in it. I think they could have gone that direction, but I don't think they ever even wanted to go that direction. It's not like they messed up on the marketing or messed up on uh, the script. I think from the beginning, they were like, we're not we're not marketing this to brand new people. We're marketing this to Harry Potter fans, which is honestly, that's most of the world. Yeah. Most people are in on the Harry Potter train um and that that's what they wanted to do they're just like we're just going to keep going with this because we don't have to start from scratch we don't have to explain things all over again we're just if you're in you're in right and part of that is cool and part of that is like that shitty storytelling so (laughs) sorry no we'll we'll see i I, i'm interested to see where it goes in the future because i think if if it continues to introduce new things, and because we did learn new stuff, there was new stuff in America that wasn't in England uh, in these movies, and I feel like we got introduced to those things well. But it 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 let us it it came in knowing that we had knowledge, and it didn't baby us trying to make us relearn things. Yes, so, which I liked, and you didn't. <laughs> no, I mean I didn't want to be babied but just i i was so much more compelled by dan fogler's character um Mm -hmm. the the nomad yeah Um, which is a terrible name for a muggle i mean (laughs) yes it's the american version of muggle (laughs) worse because jk rowling hates americans um (laughs) but he he was so i've i don't think i've ever seen him in a starring role before and i thought that he was so interesting as a character i think they put him into kind of some you know dumb places and left him underdeveloped in certain areas but in general i was like oh that's a guy that has a life that would be a really interesting point of entry into this world um because with harry potter they you enter into the world as somebody who is a wizard and didn't know they were a wizard and they're coming into Mm -hmm. this whole thing and we don't really have any muggles in the harry potter world that are like no we have zero muggle characters really Right. Right. And so I thought it would have been a really cool opportunity because he plays audience surrogate throughout so much of it to Mm -hmm. do that. But instead they follow Eddie Redmayne, who I didn't find super compelling as a as a main character. I thought he was fine. I thought he made some choices that I was like, I can respect you made that choice. I didn't think he was terrible, but I just didn't find it as compelling. So speaking of performances, were there any performances that y'all definitely appreciated or like didn't really enjoy? As someone who's usually 100% in or 100% out of Colin Farrell, 
um, performances. I was 100% in on this guy. This was amazing. <laughs> I agree. I thought he did great in it. He did, he has I forget who was tweeting this this weekend, but he had the best wand um, movements in any Harry Potter movie that I have ever seen. He had the best flourishes, the best. Just uh, <laughs> he was forceful with his wand movements, and it was amazing. He was dancing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Go I, go for it. No, no, I completely agree. I thought he did a great job, and I was worried because I've seen Colin Farrell in previous movies where he does an American accent, and I'm out. And he yeah. did great. I thought he he sold me the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm trying to think what other performances. Ezra this Miller. Isn't... I'm very cu- curious about Ezra Miller. Oh yeah, yeah. Ezra Miller was Ezra... given like one note to play the he... whole time. Yeah, he was completely underserved. He did a fantastic job with that one note. I agree. But um, yeah, he had way less, way less screen time and way less, I guess, depth than I wanted his character to have, or than I thought his character was going to have going into this. Um, he is very highly billed on this movie and uh he does not get a lot yeah, to he do was so underused i loved him mm-hmm. and yeah i i think he did great with what he had but i wanted to see more and more for him to do mm-hmm. and so yep. did his character definitely <laughs> yep <laughs> um the the two girls in this movie uh, so jk jk rowling is terrible at writing girls anyway hermione is her only girl character who does anything and she's not even really well written uh in the books and you can really see that coming out oh you don't you think you think i i i i think she is she's not bad but she's not well written in the books um i think overall jk rowling does a fantastic job with characters and character moments and i think that's what stood out in this movie was just little character moments between these people and that's what I liked, but I wish, I wish we'd gotten more information about these characters and gotten um, just more depth to the, to the to the script for especially these these female roles, because uh, really all of them we don't we don't know a lot about any of these people by the end of the movie. Yeah, I mean, I can't remember either the female characters' names in this movie, and it's not like I. Like I saw this movie twenty minutes ago. Like they <laughs> they were so forgettable and it was gosh, I just wanted it to be so different because it didn't feel like any either of the actresses were doing a bad job. Like I felt like they were really doing well with the lines that they were given, but they the the roles were just really, really thin. And I was yeah. I was really disappointed by that. The one in particular, who is the the love interest? Um, Al- Allison Sedol, she yeah. played Queenie. Yeah, Queenie. Yeah, they just like I think they just came up with the name Queenie, and they were like, "What would someone named Queenie say in this scenario?" For every line, <laughs> and it just it was not. It was <sighs> these characters have a chance to develop in the next four movies, but it was not a not a strong introduction for them. No, not at all. All right, well, do y'all have anything else to say before we go into spoilers? Your moral stand saved you from very mediocre filmmaking, (laughs) Sandra. (laughs) Lucas? Yeah. Yeah, I got nothing. See it. (laughs) You think people should see it? No, I I, honestly, I I, I did. As much as I've said about this movie, I, I did have a lot of fun watching it. Um, and I, and I'm really excited to see where this franchise goes. Um, 
I just think we need to bring on uh, another screenwriter to help her out. All right, let's get into spoilers. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Are you paying attention? It's your last chance to walk away. Let me tell you what's going to happen. No, crack and gas. Spoilers! Remember, you wanted this. Okay. Can I say something about in this now that we're in the spoiler section that yes. is so infuriating to me as a person who wanted to see this movie and it won't because of Johnny <laughs> Depp. When I found out the twist at the end about the fact that like Johnny Depp is Colin Farrell like the whole time, whatever. Yeah. yeah. It had me so mad because it means we could have just had Colin Farrell in the rest of these movies. And <laughs> yeah. It could have been Johnny Depp that was him the whole time. I actually, I would have preferred Colin Farrell. I, t- I like going into this. I I don't know if I would have said that, but after watching him in this movie, I was like, yeah, he did a great job. Yeah, he he would have been he would have been a great Grindelwald. I think he would have been great as a villain to have for like the rest of this franchise. And he's actually European. We won't have to like. Yeah, su- if he just- y'all won't have. I won't suffer through it. Y'all won't have to suffer suffer through Johnny Depp doing his w- whatever weird Eastern weird. European accent. Yeah, I. Think, yeah, why I are think they having Johnny great. Depp playing a European and Colin Farrell playing an American? I know. If he just if he just dropped the American accent at the end of the movie and been like, ah, you got me. If it weren't for these crazy gigs, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's bas- he's a Scooby Doo villain, and basically is what happens at the end of this. So. Oh, uh, I was so mad because like. <laughs> Colin Farrell would have been just such a great villain. <laughs> I was just so angry. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Okay. And he would have made a great Grindelwald. But... Yes. And it's just like, really? We're giving up Colin Farrell, sex god Colin Farrell, for <laughs> sleazy, <laughs> slimy, gross Johnny Depp. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. I think, so I think that they, they definitely cast Johnny Depp before these accusations came out. Well, um, I don't think so. You don't think he, no. Yo, he was definitely he was definitely cast and they shot this part before the accusations came out. It just hadn't been announced. It just hadn't been announced yet that he was in it. And I think it was going to be a big surprise. But then they were like, uh, we better announce this. Yeah. Ahead of time. So. <laughs> just to get people OK with it. But I, I feel like now, like. I mean, now they can make him be whoever they want. So depending on how this whole thing plays out, they might end up swapping him out for somebody else, have him change his face again or whatever. You know, um, which I'd be OK with. While we're yep. on the topic of Johnny Depp, I uh, will move on to the rest of the movie in just a little bit. But I just okay. want to say something that I didn't say in our last episode was that one of the things that is so frustrating about his casting for me, um, beyond the fact that he's like a horrendous person and shouldn't be able to work anymore in this industry is that I am so interested in the Grindelwald Dumbledore storyline. Like their dynamic and their story is fascinating, fascinating to me. Um, especially with the possibility of like Dumbledore being presented in this story as like a queer character and their relationship possibly having like romantic undertones. It's very Magneto Charles Xavier in a way that I really love and to have like someone who I'm so opposed to playing this character that I'm so fascinated by is just another thing that was very upsetting for me. Mm. Can we just talk about if it had actually been Colin Farrell? 
What if he goes back to being Colin Farrell? <laughs> like, oh my <laughs> Put gosh. it in the next movie at the beginning. He escapes and is just like, boom, I'm Colin Farrell if, again. If they change it back to Colin Farrell, <laughs> then I will watch the next movie that doesn't have Johnny Depp in it. I, I will <laughs> let, pre- pledge myself to that. That, oh, they, <laughs> that would be so I good. Say, I say we petition it. I say every <laughs> once in a while, he just, it's just like, we know he can change his face, but he's Colin Farrell. Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, oh, man. So All while right. we're talking about things we dislike, because I do want to talk about a lot of things <laughs> that I like. Agreed. Agreed. But, Lucas, can we talk plot holes for a second? All right, let's talk plot holes. Go for okay. it. Okay. Traveling makes no sense in this movie. Not at all. Zero, zero sense. percent sense. Because yes. they can apparate, and there are port keys, and there's flu powder. There's all these things that we know about. But Eddie and Redmayne. he took a boat. He did take a boat. <laughs> With all a, the way across the ocean, all the way across the ocean in a time that was like not too far after months. the Titanic. Yeah, it would take months. months. Like this is unreliable way to travel. It takes a really long time. I have a bag that comes unlatched with dangerous stuff in it that I'm gonna ostensibly sleep next to for months. Like, ah. Uh, and it's never, there's never any explanation like, oh, when you're traveling with this kind of bag, it can't apparate or like anything like that. No. Right. One line he fix. disapparates with the bag yeah. later, like there's all the time. There's a one line fix for this situation and they didn't even bother. That's one of the most brilliant things that she does in the books is that she makes it so that no one can apparate in Hogwarts. And that like yeah. solves so many plot holes for her. Like, right. Yeah. So the whole reason he's in America is to take a hippogriff to Arizona. So he rides... Arizona? Like you do. Yes. I know, right? To Arizona. So he rides a boat to New York. And then what? Then he apparates? Like, why didn't he... I don't understand. I don't understand any of it. It doesn't make sense. Traveling is dumb in this movie because, like, they apparate all the time. Like There's more walks. apparating in this movie than happens in the entire Harry Potter series. Because the right. Harry Potter series takes place at Hogwarts. Right. Mm, less of it than it should. True. <laughs> but, like, also, he walks through customs. Yeah. Like, he he could apparate, and he walks through customs. Stands and, like, in line. And gets nervous whenever the customs agent is like, what's in that bag? <laughs> and he's like, oh, no, if only I had apparated. <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense. There's and some weird stuff. The other big thing that really frustrated me was at the end of the movie, they do they lay some breadcrumbs for like um, preservation and the cause for all these animal preservations, which I think is really cool and a message that overall I liked. And it was, you know, mm-hmm. a parallel to we're cutting down on this rainforest and maybe there's animals and tree frogs in the rainforest that have you know, the cure for Parkinson's or whatever. Like, we just don't know because we aren't saving these animals. And I thought that was cool. And they laid out some stuff in this felt like magical animals have different magical qualities um, and people misunderstand them or hunt them or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so they make this allusion to this one animal having juice that makes people forget things. Um, I think they specifically said it was forget bad memories. But um, so at the end of the movie, all these people saw this magic happen. And so he gives the vial of this uh, forgetful stuff to the hippogriff who takes it up into the sky because this hippogriff can also control the weather. And the (laughs) hippogriff makes a rainstorm and puts this vial of forgetful stuff into the rainstorm. And it rains over all of New York. So all of New York forgets that this happened. Nice, tidy fix. 
except, <laughs> except how many thousands, millions of people are inside whenever this is happening. And they go out of their way to be like, oh, no, no, don't worry about the people who are inside. Look, they're taking showers, they're drinking water, they're brushing their teeth, <laughs> and that water is making them forget too. Except <laughs> indoor plumbing does not draw directly from currently falling rain. So it was just... Wow. I, I was Lawson, you're going deep on this. <laughs> it was... I was so frustrated by that. I was just like, you're trying so hard to seal up this plot hole with something else that doesn't make sense. I, it was just, it was, yeah. Yeah. So, it wasn't tidy. It, it definitely wasn't tidy. <laughs> yeah. And no way was any, any part of yeah. this tidy. And there were so many like subplots that maybe they'll pay off in future movies, but they just didn't have anything to do with anything. So anyway, I want to talk about things you like, but those are some plot holes that really bugged me. And I wanted to talk about them with you, Lucas. Absolutely. I a hundred percent agree with all of those. I, I think all of that comes from just a, a first-time screenwriter not really knowing what she's doing. Yeah. So, because you can take three hundred pages of a book and make that a little bit more in depth and come up with some very specific ways that a lot of that stuff can happen. But with a two-hour movie, two and a half-hour movie, however long this thing was, um, you just can't do that. Right. So, and, all right. Favorite things. Go. Okay. I'm talking too much though, so you need to jump in too. Okay, I will. <laughs> okay. Okay. I really liked the anti-abuse message in this. Um, mm-hmm. I think they touched on the... Which is, again, weird to have Johnny Depp yeah, in this movie. tell me about <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> How do it you... Was... It's like, we go through this whole anti, anti-abuse anti thing, and then it turns out, oh, Johnny Depp is, Here's is the, other the thing. abuser. Okay. Or yeah. one of the We're abusers. We're getting back on Johnny Depp, but... Y'all, y'all, I just realized, y'all pointing out, okay, let's say he was cast in this before the whole stuff came out. I see where you're going. Yeah. Okay. He's in like, what, a 30 second shot, right? Of him like. Yeah, true. How easy would have that been to recast? Or just not recast and keep Colin Farrell. Either. (laughs) And like. It's just unacceptable. It is unacceptable to keep him in this franchise. <laughs> I, Sandra, I don't disagree with you at all. Oh man. Uh, but they, I anyway. To their anyway, credit, back to things you liked. They tried. <laughs> um, they really addressed, and I felt like a very serious way and a really mm-hmm. um, uh, super dark way. Yeah, it was really dark. But I, you know, abuse is a dark thing, and I think that they didn't mm-hmm. shy away from that in a way that was like, oh, this doesn't feel like it belongs in a movie that was advertised to kids, but. It was, I thought, uh, well done for what they were trying to say, and I liked that they they tried to to talk about that and to address it as uh, a real source of, of trauma and hardship for kids um, and kids of different ages. Um, I really liked, you know, like I said before, kind of how they talked about the political climate. I thought they did a great job of that. They had a great critique of the death penalty in this movie. Um, which I don't think they have the death penalty in the UK and haven't for they do not. a long time. Um, and so the fact that that still exists in America, I think is, you know, something I'm, of course, really firmly against. And the fact that they have an illustration of this that's kind of like a, a, a chair, like a take on the electric chair, I thought for the 1920s especially was really uh, 
apps and a really good um, kind of mirror to that terrible um, part of what would have been an American wizarding justice system. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, just in general, I thought it was a really, I thought it did a good job of critiquing American policies through the eyes of a British narrator um, or a British protagonist. Uh, just in ways in which American government can be more authoritarian um, and like prejudiced. Uh, they do. They specifically call out that there's laws during this time in America that uh, against intermarrying, or I think specifically they said breeding of uh, inner of marriage between uh, non-magical and magical people. Um, which Newt Scamander calls out as really backwards and intolerant and stuff, um, which has other obvious relevancies now. So I just I thought they did a really cool job of um, calling out some of these themes. Like I said before, the theme of like conservation and um, respect for nature and animals and all those things that that was really cool too. I liked a lot of these things, the things that the movie was trying to do and themes that it played with, but. Um, so yeah, even though I didn't, I thought the movie was, uh, for more of the time, was not engaging than it was engaging, mm-hmm. I I liked those themes in a lot. Yeah. I thought they handled them in yeah. a cool way. A couple of things that I really liked about it was the, I, I, I talked about the animation so far, but um, so Credence, who was played by Ezra Miller, um, has this th- thing, I don't really know, in him, it wasn't really explained very well. He basically is a... I don't know. Is he a squib who He's, just exerts magic because it's been repressed inside of him this yeah, whole time? That's this whole thing that doesn't really make much sense. It's called an obscurus. Obscurus, which is also a weird word. Yeah, it's like if somebody is magical but is tortured repressed. by magic self. And hate. So I think that was like a conversion therapy type right. of parallel. Like if yeah. you try to suppress yourself so much and hate who you are and have other people like hurt you or tell you to hate yourself because of who you are, that this dark evil the um, magic kind of builds up into like a, like a lost monster cloud of evil and mm-hmm. consumes the that person just... and consumes everything and does rampage. Yeah. yeah. It can kind of explode out of you at times. And so it comes out and murders people more than I thought would happen in this movie. Can I, yeah. You know, <laughs> Since y'all have brought up like all these issues or t- like metaphors that mm-hmm. are happening in this film, I wanna I wanna read a, a tweet from Angie Han where she says, um, "Has the Potterverse considered including actual oppressed minorities in their movies about metaphorically oppressed minorities?" And I just I feel like that's so apt. It's something that I never really recognized when I was a kid reading these books growing up. And now as an adult, I recognize so clearly that all of these metaphors are about, you know, uh, oppressed sexuality, about racism, the AIDS crisis. And, and yet there are no queer characters. There are very few characters of color in, in any of these films. And it's very frustrating for like mm-hmm. all these messages being yeah. put out there with no representation. Yeah, I think that's something that was for me, I think more clear in this movie than um, anywhere else that like a ni- 1920s America is a very immigration uh, immigration centric uh, 
a lot of immigration is going on in the 1920s in America. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the fact that everyone in this movie, even all the people like coming in, when, like when he's going through customs, everyone's white. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like, like British white, not like, hey, these people are coming from like the Ukraine or, you know, Spain or Italy and stuff like that. It's like, everyone's basically British. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, uh, but back to things we oh, like, sorry. right? Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> um, no, I I just want to say the like the the biggest thing that stood out to me was at the ending of this movie. Um, the Obscurus gets out or whatever and is terrorizing the city, um, destroying New York City. And is a all of a person, sudden, right? Uh, it's kind of a, a ball of energy slash oh. smoke slash whatever, okay. which is. The animation for that was super cool. It was awesome. Um, it basically emerges really, out of the person, and then the person like becomes the cloud, but is not in control of the cloud. It's like a rage cloud that emerges from the person, but then can go back down, and then it's only the person left. Yeah. Is, I don't did know it, if that makes it, sense. Was it... The way you're describing it makes it sound... You know how there's been a lot of conversation about how every superhero movie has like the big beam of light into the sky at the end that you have right. to shut down. Yeah. Was it? Oh, I was totally yeah. expecting this to turn into a big beam. Do, it never did. Okay. So it got it, close. it okay. was not, it was not a big beam. <laughs> um, but what I thought was cool is yeah, normally like with that big beam of light kind of thing, you have the bad guy turns on the beam and is destroying the city and the good guys have to stop him from destroying the city and turn off the beam. Right. Is kind of, kind of how that playbook goes. But this is, this guy's just completely out of control and you have Newt Scamander and Colin Farrell both trying to stop him, but Newt Scamander to try to save him and Colin Farrell to use him for whatever, like trying to stop him and basically like, then use the him for whatever, yeah. whatever he wants. Um, but all of a sudden you have this crazy like fight scene chase that is Newt Scamander and Colin Farrell's character both doing the exact same thing, like both trying to stop kind of save this kid mm -hmm. which i thought was really interesting having the bad guy and the good guy both doing the same thing but for different reasons yeah. which i thought was was something that i hadn't seen in, in a movie like this before which the was last cool 30 minutes of this movie was the strongest part of the whole film by far like i yeah, thought it definitely got a lot of good momentum and i was really into it when it was wrapping up mm. and then the government shows up and murders the kid <laughs> yeah which the wizarding is, government was terrifying or to the watch. American yeah, the wizard, the, the, no, the wizard, the wizarding government, wizarding yeah. government comes up, exposure. and both Colin Farrell and Newt Scamander are saying, "Don't kill the kid; he can be saved." And they're like, "Nah, thanks." Boom. Yeah. And they shoot him. So right. very uh, American police gun violence kind of situations going on there as well. So. Lots of political stuff in this movie. Yeah. Lots of political stuff. The but yeah that what. Sandra, like you were saying earlier about uh, there not being like actual representations of minorities in this, I just now am remembering that there is a female black president of the wizarding like mm -hmm. government in America, um, but she's not cast in a really great light. Like like you were saying, Lucas, one of her biggest moments is like I commanded all of these people to kill that kid that both the main bad guy and the main good guy were saying save. Yeah. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's problematic. Can I mention the, one of the things that I heard on Twitter was that, um, so from what I could tell, a, a character's mother 
is killed in this movie. Um, and like, mm-hmm. she's possibly like an abusive mother. Um, yeah. And so yeah. apparently, you know, I think this movie is definitely marketed towards children. And like, yeah. someone said that there was like a, like a, a under 10 year old kid, like maybe like maybe six that when she was killed, just kind of yelled out like, was she killed or did she just die? No, she was yeah. killed. She was the killed, killed by her. the smoke monster. Yeah. They, they, yeah. He he yelled out something like, they killed his mom. And how, even yeah. though, like, she's, like, an abusive figure to a child, right. it's still the mom. Like. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not seen as, like, a victory in any sense. That is, like, a dark, no. dark moment. Yeah. And I, I think it also wasn't shown as a victory, like in the movie, like it was super dark and scary and a very and really focused on her like deformed dead body Yikes. a lot, <laughs> which was pretty. Yeah, pretty terrifying. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and the fact that it, it, it kind of goes back and forth between showing um, like Newt's commander in a park doing a funny dance to like find one of his his animals and then it jumps to yeah this kid killing his mom and then back to newt's commander finding another one of his animals in a library or something like that like just totally weird weird juxtaposition of the tones yeah not not good (laughs) Hmm. but you know lawson we brought up earlier about how like this movie deals with like abuse and that is something that this the harry potter universe has always like dealt with is like you know harry potter as a character wasn't you know there he wasn't physically abused he wasn't like beat as a child but there was a lot of child abuse going on in the home that he grew up in and like that is a theme throughout this universe is you know like children not being treated with the like the right amount of like warmth and love and like that's a big part of like tom morval tom riddle's like storyline and Mm -hmm. again it's so disappointing to have like that be such a current theme throughout the entire universe. And then to like have a known abuser cast as one of your main characters. (laughs) So I'm going to keep bringing that up, but back to Johnny. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just saying, if we make a big enough stink, we'll just turn around and keep calling Farrell. (laughs) This is the podcast. I I changed the tides. I did my part. (laughs) <laughs> spend money on this movie yeah. and that's my stink is yeah so uh i guess let's see fantastic beast once it comes out on dvd right red box it that's our yeah recommendation actually i would recommend uh red box i'm trying to think of what's the least money or free that you could see this for um, steal it from a blockbuster if it goes on yeah. netflix you know if it goes on Netflix or it'll probably be on HBO Go. That's what I would recommend. When it's on HBO Go, watch it on there. Even though doing that will still give this movie money. I'm just saying. Well, As I said before. If it's on a streaming service, it. you're still supporting the movie financially. Steal it. So steal Lucas it. advocates theft. Steal it. And I advocate spending as little money as possible. Lucas is turning into one of the villains in the hair. Steal it. <laughs> is that your is that your parcel tongue? Steal it. <laughs> hey, I'm a Slytherin through and through. I respect that about Lucas. you, Lucas. <laughs> Lucas is the Kermit meme in the Black Hood. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lots of like, uh, watch it on HBO Go. <laughs> Steal it. <laughs> Alrighty. 
Well, do y'all have any other final thoughts that you want to share before we wrap it up? That's it. I got nothing. Let's wrap it up. Uh, so, um, yeah, that does it for today. So until next week, we love to hear from you on Twitter at feelingitpod and on Facebook at facebook.com slash feelingitpod. Guys, where can we find you individually throughout the week? My online handles are at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. Go follow me on Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. I'm on all those places. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Lawson West. Um, that's West is in the direction. Cool. My, you can Google me. My name is Lucas Wright. Um, you can also find me on Instagram and Twitter and uh, Letterboxd and Facebook and what do we have? Snapchat and Lucas. I would like to point out that you cannot Google me. <laughs> if you Google me, it will not Lucas, work. you said Lucas Wright and yeah. not Lucas and stuff. Oh, yeah. My name is Lucas and stuff. <laughs> no, you can find me at Lucas and stuff. You can Google me at Lucas Wright, you but you can find me on all of these platforms at Lucas and stuff. To be fair, if you so, put Lucas go do Wright that. into those platforms, they'll probably find you. No, nope. Nope. they won't. Nope, I'm hidden. Oh. I've, I've hidden myself. Really? No, I'm oh. just kidding. I'm just kidding. You can't do that. You, can you can't on Tumblr. <laughs> you can hide yourself on yeah. Tumblr? Yeah, dude. I don't it. I don't... Why? Because sometimes you read a lot of fan fiction on Tumblr, Lucas, that you don't want other people to know <laughs> about. <laughs> okay, fine. All right. Fine. All right. Looks like I'm going to join Tumblr again <laughs> for like the eighth time. <laughs> Guys, you can find me on Tumblr at Lucas and stuff, I think. Oh, or you Not can't because you might have hidden it. Or you can't because I'll have hidden myself. Because you can do that on Tumblr. All right. Leave us a review. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> on iTunes. A review on iTunes. Yeah, leave us a review wherever you want to leave us a review. Leave write me a it, review on Twitter. Write it on the inside <laughs> of a Snapple label. And then put it in the recycling. On that note, adios. Bye. Bye. <laughs> i was making fun of how ridiculous you were being lucas and you let me be the ridiculous one (laughs) it is it is my specialty (laughs) well done episode something something. 30 oh yeah the big three zero we did it guys we made it all right i'm gonna stop recording Thank you. Goodbye, now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it. Go home. Yep. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people.